This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. What is going on? I'm Rob Fay. Welcome to your Tuesday edition of Sports Bar Radio. It is the 17th day of August, and I hope this podcast finds you doing well. We got a lot to get to. We say that every single day, but again, even in the bowels of summer, where there's not a lot of sports to be had. Yes, the bowels of summer, I've trademarked that one. I will say that there is stuff that we're going to get into. We're going to talk about baseball. Some of it good, some of it not so good. As Trevor Bauer is before the courts right now, and some of the testimony coming out from the accuser is pretty damning. Again, innocent until proven guilty, but we will look into the Trevor Bauer situation and how the Dodgers and Major League Baseball are going to look at that. It is a very special day for BC Place. It is the eve of them welcoming fans back in to that fine stadium after 18 months away. What are they doing to get ready? We will look into that and much, much more. But let me get you to that one story. Or maybe in this instance, it's that one thought process that one thing that kind of just rattles around in your brain where you're thinking to yourself, you know, I gotta get this one off my chest. Let me get you to the lead. We've scoured the globe for the stories that matter to you. Okay, well, let's be honest, Rob picks most of the stories, so maybe they matter more to him? Anyways, pull up a chair and let our bartender pour you a cold one because there's a lot going on in your world today. Okay, I've come to realize that I'm in the right business and yet I am in the wrong business. Listen, I love what I do. The combination of working in wrestling and the combination of doing this show for you every day uh, is pretty cool. And I take a lot of pride in it. But I will say this. I'm no Cole Hamels. Hamels was signed by the Los Angeles Dodgers the other day and pitched exactly zero innings before he was placed on the 60-day injured list, which pretty much ends his season. Heck, it does end his season. He's going to get a million dollars for pitching zero innings this year for the Los Angeles Dodgers. It was a million dollars to simply take the chance and see if he had anything in the tank. He didn't. He pitched one side, ends up with an injury, and he is done, but yet he will cash in a million dollars, which would take the average person years, if not a career to make in certain fields. And he made it by simply throwing one side session. The Dodgers realized it was a problem. They put him on the injury list and he gets his cool million regardless. Listen, he's not the only guy. I'm going to go through very quickly a number of athletes that have gotten paid big money for doing exactly nothing. For example, in 2011, Now, this wasn't necessarily his fault. I mean, he did have neck surgery. But Peyton Manning made $23 million for not playing at all. He sat on the bench for the Indianapolis Colts the entire year. The Colts went 2-14, but Peyton made his $23 million. Mark Sanchez in 2011-2012 was on the sidelines for the New York Jets. He was replaced by a third stringer and yet made $7.8 million. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers. Get a load of this. From 2008 to 2012, Oden played in 82 games. As the former first overall pick, he got paid 23 
million dollars to do it. And the best, Andrew Bynum, ended up with knee problems, bone bruises, bowling injury, the whole shebang, and he got $16.9 million in 2013 for doing absolutely nothing. So why do I bring this up? What is it about these guys that bothers me and irks me the way that it does? You know what? I don't have a problem with it per se, but it is hard for me to tell my kids who look at these guys monetarily more than they do ability-wise sometimes that this is how it should be in regular life. Like try to transition this into your regular everyday life. It's like you not going to work for the entire year, but your guy showing up and giving you a million dollars and saying thanks for just being a part of things. I know what you're thinking, it's two different things, and you're probably right, but just work with me on this for a second, because what I'm talking about here is how do you translate today's sports world to a child to make sure that they enjoy the game and not just look at these guys monetarily and look at these guys as liabilities and dollar signs. For example, the other day, I was talking about the Vancouver Canucks, how I thought they revamped certain parts of their team. Don't even start with me on this one. They did go out and get Oliver Ekman Larson, and yes, I know what you're thinking. He better be a five-star defenseman or, say it with me, he is going to be a bust. Why? Because we look at the dollar figure and we see how much he hits against the cap and we realize how hamstrung the Vancouver Canucks are because of that cap hit and we sit back and we look at him as a number. But sports did it to themselves when you think about it. They had to because the agents got involved, they jacked up the prices, owners needed a way to offset that so they implemented caps and now you gotta try to fit so many players into some semblance of a number and now everybody isn't looked at just goals and assists and all the analytic that come with it, they are looked at from a price tags perspective. So at what point does a kid or even a fan, let's take the kid out of the equation, at what point does a fan enjoy the game less because they no longer look at the player as a player? They look at him as a dollar or a price tag. It's happening more and more in pro sports. And unfortunately, I don't think there's a point of any return. I think this is what it's going to be moving forward. But now you look at the NCAA, and this is what I fear because for so many years, we've looked at the amateur status of NCAA athletes and we've said to ourselves, okay, well, at least they're not tarnished. At least they're not tainted. Sure, there's the odd booster club that gets a little overzealous and maybe does something that they shouldn't, but we're not talking about big, big stuff. But you look at somebody like Simone Biles' teammates who are all of a sudden starting to make money and big money off of their efforts at the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games. They're still in university, but now they can get paid. Now the NCAA has flipped, and you start to see these elite athletes getting theirs as well. So when do we look at them differently? Because we did it with the pros. I would imagine that we're going to do it with these quote-unquote amateurs, and that to me is heartbreaking as well because there was one thing that I would say. When I looked at an NCAA athlete, I sat there and I said, boy, I can't wait till they get to the pros so that they could finally get theirs, so that they could finally set up their family and their family's family and their family's family family. But now that is trickled into the NCAA, it is going to be an issue and fans are going to look at certain athletes in different ways. Listen, some of them are going to sling chicken, some of them are going to sit there and talk about a car dealership, some of these guys are going to get bigger deals than others, but it's coming. And so I guess the reason I bring this up and I guess the reason I start with the show is I go all the way back to Cole Hamels right at the beginning of this conversation. A million dollars for pitching zero innings this year for the Los Angeles Dodgers. It is unbelievable to me how hard it is getting for a fan to truly relate to athletes. I can't relate to that dollar figure. I don't get nearly the access I used to get unless I follow them on social media and it's just getting harder and harder to be a fan 
in certain facets of this industry. What do you think? Hit me up on social media at Rob Fay, R-O-B, Efferson Frank A-I. Let me know what you think. Should an athlete get paid that much money for doing nothing simply because an organization wants to take a flyer on them? Or should they do it like the NFL, where there isn't necessarily guaranteed money in every situation? For example, Tim Tebow got released today by the Jacksonville Jaguars. He doesn't make a cent. He had to make the team in order to get paid. He showed up, he put in his time, and after one preseason game and a couple of missed assignments, his former coach, Urban Meyer, cut him and cut him early. That I can relate to. You show up, you get your audition, it doesn't go your way. You took the chance, you took the risk, and it's on you. PGA Tour, I like it as well. You show up, you play well, you get paid. You show up, you don't play well, you don't get paid. That, to me, is what sport should be because I still look at these guys as athletes and I still look at them as striving to be the best. But when you show up and get a mill for doing nothing, when you show up like Greg Oden, play 82 games and still make nearly $30 million, tough to relate. When you think of these athletes that are in the salary cap and they're making eight, nine, $10 million held to the NBA with their 35 and $40 million deals. And that's per year, by the way. It's really tough to get your kids to relate to them as anything other than a price tag. All right, enough of me going on about this. I'm not even sure if you agree or disagree with that. I just saw a number of different stories from Tebow to Cole Hamels, and I just thought it was worth the conversation and uh, just my thoughts on that. All right, let's get to the other side. It's a big day for those who have been working at BC Place for the last 18 months. I'll get to that. And many more stories as we bring you into that one room here in the sports bar that's a little bit different. This is where we keep all of the stuff in the back. Let me get you into the VIP room. You knew tonight was going to be a good night, didn't you? Guys, the ladies don't want you wasting their time, so get to the point. 10 topics, 10 minutes. Hold on to your drinks because we're about to bring you the entire world of sports before the DJ can pull out the vinyl for his next set. Welcome to the VIP room. Okay, by the way, I just wanted to say very quickly before we get into sports that uh, there's an interesting topic that has come up this morning that I think is worth at least the conversation, no? So apparently the Premier of British Columbia, John Horgan, is spending time with family in Atlantic Canada as he takes his summer vacation as the fires burn in the interior and across British Columbia. Listen, man, I have not always been a supporter of John Horgan, but I don't know if I can uh, get on him for this. There's never an off day when you're in office. There's never a day where everything is clear and you can truly just get out of town and unwind. Everybody's been through COVID. Everybody's been through the regular challenges. There was the fire season last year. At some point, he needs to prioritize his family. Is it optimal optically? Probably not. But at the same time, I don't think you can knock the guy for simply taking a couple of days with his family. It's not like he's down in Mexico. It's not like he's over in Europe. He is in Atlantic Canada, spending a couple of days with his family while he communicates with officials back here in the province as to how they're gonna attack these fires across the province. Listen, it's real easy to throw rocks at politicians. And trust me, with John Horgan, there've been a couple of times where I have, but I don't know if this is one that I can. Like realistically, if it was a planned vacation and he's staying in communication, that's all you can really ask. I mean, what's the difference between a phone call while he sits at his office and a phone call while he sits at his hotel with a laptop? It's kind of the same thing. The only difference is when you hang up, you go and you spend a little bit of time with your family. It's not like John Horgan. He's going to be able to go up there and grab a hose. Am I wrong in saying that? Like, guys, there is a human element here. And yes, it is tragic what is going on in the interior. There's many people up in Kelowna that are telling everybody outside of the interior to stay away. 
as they need hotel rooms for those who are being vacated from their properties across the interior. That makes total sense. Like, if you want tourism to stay out of that region while everybody battles the blazes and keep everything available to those who are trying to truly battle this, that is a fine ask by me. If anything, it's a really smart ask. But when you direct criticism at a premier for not being front and center in a moment like this, I this is going to sound really shitty. But I think this is going to be the new normal. Every single year, we are now going to have to deal with forest fires. It's just a part of life. It is the global warming that we are now living in. And there are just going to be fires that are going to burn. We hope that they stay away from populated areas. We hope that at some point there is a way that we can work these forests better so that they don't light up every single year. Like there are ways, it's going to be a long-term solution, but there are ways that you can prepare a forest to minimize the damage when forest fires strike. But I just don't think today we need to really throw rocks at John Horgan simply because he's on the other side of the country. It's not like he's not answering his phone. He's just answering his phone from a different area code and that to me sits fine. Okay, so let's move on to sport because one of the other things that is going on in this province is the opening of BC Place as the BC Lions are getting ready to host a Canadian Football League game after nearly two years away. What does that mean to you? Does that feel like things are getting back to normal? Are you going to kind of wait and see? And more importantly, are you going to attend said game? Because BC Place does have a number of things in place. They are still asking that you have masks. They are still asking that you follow all the protocols that go into place. Vancouver Canucks look as if they're going to make sure that you have your vaccinations before you enter that facility. And uh, I think if they go that route, that's fine. I've got no issue with that whatsoever. You know, it's funny because with the wrestling company that I've started with Chris Perry, um, one of the things that we've kind of bounced back and forth is how are we going to handle that? And luckily, there have been other wrestling promotions in this region that have actually taken the lead on this. So we will probably fall in line with that because I agree with the principles where they will be asking for a proof of vaccination at the door. And we will be asking that you wear a mask when you come to our matches, at least early on, until the protocols allow us to loosen that grip. And it's not so much that we're taking one side or the other. We're not anti-vaxxers. We're not pro-vaxxers. We just want to make sure that when we open our venue, and again, this is an official statement, but I, I feel like this is the direction we're trending towards, that we want to make sure that you feel safe walking into our facility. And if you don't, well, we're going to be able to stream that match for you as well so you can watch it in the comfort of your own home. But for those who do want to come out and see a, a match or an event that we're going to be putting on, and there's only a handful in 2021. It's not like a nightly occurrence, but we feel that we need to provide an environment that everybody can feel safe. If you choose not to vaccinate, that's your choice. But if you do choose to vaccinate and you hope that you can be in an environment that is to your advantage where people are minimizing the risk of exposure, you deserve that right as well. So again, it's going to be one of those things where we're always going to piss off somebody one way or the other, but we also want to protect our wrestlers and we want to make sure that the staff is taken care of. And we want to make sure that we've done our due diligence to make sure that uh, we're taking care of business. So in addition to that, that's what BC Place is going to be doing. That's what Rogers Arena is going to be doing. I would assume when baseball comes back to Nat Bailey Stadium, that's what they're going to be doing. And that is just really, and again, I hate to use this phrase twice in one segment, but that is just going to be the new norm, where I think for the foreseeable future, there is going to be these kind of conversations and these kind of debates as to who wears masks, who's vaccinated, how we prove that vaccination, so on and so forth. The challenge that I think a lot of people are going to face is when those fake cards come out 
and all of a sudden you're starting to realize that uh, beyond the QR code, there are going to be some challenges. Like, for example, my daughter, on her vaccination card, she does have a QR code. My vaccination card does not. And I just worry that it wouldn't take much effort to have some people create their own vaccination card, show it at the door, and get in whether they're vaccinated or not. I, Like I said, there's always going to be this cat and mouse game between the vax crowd, the anti-vax crowd, and everything in between. So the best that you can do as an organization is at least give it the college try and hope that you can minimize the exposure because I think that's what everybody's trying to do. So, and by the way, good luck to the BC Lions who come into that game one and one on the season as they will try to look for their second straight victory and their first victory at home again in more than 18 calendar months. What a story this has all been. Well, to baseball, the Houston Astros settling that case with that young girl who was hit by a foul ball back at Minute Maid Park in 2019. She was two years old at the time, and I'll never forget that. That was the one time where the entire crowd went deathly quiet. Uh, players didn't even want to play the game after that. It was uh, They just stopped in their tracks. And the girl, by the way, is now four. She did suffer a skull fracture, brain injury, and has been on anti-seizure medication since that incident, but her... Uh, family's lawyer said that she has not now had a seizure in 22 months, so it's kind of tough for them to define what her life is going to be like going forward, but they have settled. Uh, it was one of a handful of incidents a couple of years ago that prompted Major League Baseball to extend their protective netting farther down the foul lines to simply protect fans. All right, this next story is going to have a few details that might not be for everybody. I'm going to talk about a situation that involves the Los Angeles Dodgers' Trevor Bauer and a woman who claims that she was sexually assaulted by Trevor Bauer. Now, she actually wrapped her own hair around her neck as she sat in the witness stand to demonstrate the way that Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher Trevor Bauer used her hair to choke her unconscious. She says, quote, I couldn't breathe. It almost felt like I was going to gag. I was gagging for air. And then I went unconscious. She said she was crying through some of the more dramatic moments in more than three hours of testimony. Quote, it took me a while to remember who I was even having sex with or where I was. Unquote. 27-year-old San Diego woman is seeking a five-year restraining order against Bauer, who was placed on paid administrative leave back on the second day of July. That was by Major League Baseball. That leave has now been extended twice. Bauer's attorney, Sean Hawley, is saying that the woman gave Bauer every indication that she wanted to be choked in the way that she described and otherwise consented to rough sexual treatment during the two nights that she and Bauer spent together at the pitcher's home in Pasadena. That woman also testified that in no way did she consent to how violent things got, especially on the second night. She was still reeling for being unconscious. Bauer allegedly punched her in the jaw, the cheekbones, and the side of the head. She says, quote, I have never been punched in my face ever, unquote. She also says, quote, I felt like my soul left my body and I was just terrified I couldn't fight back, unquote. It's also come to light that Bauer was the subject of another protective order sought by an Ohio woman last year who claimed that he punched and choked her without consent while they were having sex. That coming from the Washington Post back on Saturday, uh, Bauer tweeted a statement calling that report false and baseless. Bauer is in the first year of a three-year, $102 million contract. He joined the hometown Dodgers earlier this year after just winning his first Cy Young with the Reds last year. This is going to be a problem, and it would be fair to say I doubt we will see Trevor Bauer again this Major League Baseball season. And that for the Dodgers, of course, on the heels of, as we mentioned in the last segment, Cole Hamill's 
not working out for the Dodgers as well. So challenges in La La Land to say the least. Well, before we move on to other things, let's finish up with a positive note on baseball. Cincinnati Reds first baseman Joey Votto last night becoming just the second Canadian in Major League Baseball history to reach 2,000 career hits. Kid from Ontario, good old-fashioned single into center field off the Chicago Cubs last night. He joins Hall of Famer Larry Walker, who was the only other Canadian to get to 2,000 hits. He had 2,160. If you're wondering how far Votto was behind, hey, Joey's 37. And you got to think there's a couple of years left in the tank. There's no doubt he's never going to get to 3,000, but he could surpass Larry Walker's record and become the greatest hitting Canadian in baseball. And by the way, he's got an on-base percentage career-wise of over 400. All right, to the hardwood, 76ers making Joel Embiid a even richer man. They kept their trust in Embiid, signing the seven-footer to a multi-year contract extension four years 196 million dollars. Want to talk about being able to relate and not relate? This one slipped under the radar yesterday. Udonis Haslam back for a 19th season. He signs with the Miami Heat on a one-year deal worth 2.8 million dollars. He's 41 years old and becomes only the fifth player in NBA history to spend an entire career which would span 19 years or more with just one franchise. Nowitzki played 21 in Dallas, Kobe 20 with the Lakers, Tim Duncan 19 with San Antonio, John Stockton 19 as well and did so in Utah. Haslam is the only player to be with the Heat for all six of their Eastern Conference championship runs. He leads the franchise all-time list in rebounds. He's second in games and minutes played and seventh in scoring. So to the gridiron and just a little more information on Tim Tebow's quote-unquote NFL comeback that ended a little bit earlier today. Urban Meyer saying, quote, we knew that it was an uphill battle for Tim. Players loved him, locker room loved him, but it was the right thing to do. Now Tebow's blocking in their preseason game against Cleveland was horrendous. And this was on his 34th birthday. Didn't record a catch and didn't even play a snap on special teams. Meyer said that Tebow's play simply lacked a consistency, especially on tackling, and that is a big piece of the puzzle when it comes to that position. And Meyer added that he expected this to be the end of the road for Tebow's playing career. Tebow on social media saying, quote, thanks for the highs and even the lows, the opportunities and the setbacks. I've never wanted to make decisions out of fear of failure, and I am grateful for the chance to have pursued a dream. Let's face it, Tebow's gonna go on the speaking circuit and make probably a lot more than he would have made blocking and making tackles for the Jaguars. Well, I'm not sure if you're aware of the situation in Afghanistan right now, but the world is changing in many different ways, including politically. The Afghan government has essentially been overthrown by the Taliban, and right now certain players in different sports that have lineage back to Afghanistan are calling out for help. The football players in the Afghanistan women's national team say that they now fear for their lives after the Taliban swept to regain control of their country after two decades. One of the players, Kalita Popal, has said, quote, I have been encouraged to take down social media channels, take down photos, escape and hide. As she told that to the Associated Press over a telephone interview from Denmark, she says, quote, that breaks my heart because all of these years we have worked to raise the visibility of women. And now I am telling my women in Afghanistan to shut up and disappear. Their lives are in danger. Unquote. And that one is a tough one because it took a number of years for the women to find their voice in Afghanistan. And in 2007, this was a really big deal at the time, the creation of Afghanistan's first women's national soccer team. They were really proud to wear their jersey, said possible. She says, quote, it was the most beautiful, best feeling ever. 
and finished by saying, It's been very painful to witness when yesterday the government surrendered. Women lost hope. Puts things into perspective, doesn't it? And let's circle back to news at home. The NHL Board of Governors have approved the sale of advertising space on players' uniforms. This coming from a report from Sportico. The ads are about three inches by three and a half inches in shape, and it is unclear where exactly they're gonna be placed. You would assume that's gonna be somewhere on the front shoulder, be it left side or right side. The NHL is currently trying to regain some of that money from the pandemic, allowing teams to sell ad space on their helmets, and now looking to add those kind of logos to their jerseys as well. All right, let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to walk down memory lane, a very quick conversation with a very familiar voice as we bring you, I don't want to call it an abbreviated sports bar radio, but a condensed express version of sports bar radio on the other side of the break. I'm Rob Faye. Thank you so much for making me a part of your day, whether it's lunch, whether you're commuting home today. Uh, again, the news changes every day, so please check back with sports bar radio, and I will be back with more of your sports talk after this. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen. This segment is brought to you by me and my new enterprise, Nation Extreme Wrestling. Hey, what would happen if a wrestling mark from way back decided that he was going to start his own wrestling promotion here at home and have some of the most talented wrestlers in North America hang out with him? We'll tell you what, you can follow our journey at www.nationextremewrestling.com and stay tuned for show dates in the coming months. Welcome back to Sports Bar Radio with host Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity.Guru. All right, so we haven't done this for a while, but I want to introduce you to a guy that uh, rides shotgun with me for pretty much five days a week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Jay Swing, producer extraordinaire, brother from another mother, as you hear me say almost every show, if not every show. But we did a show about, oh gosh, I want to say like almost a year ago now. And I kind of wanted to circle back on it because there's so many good stories here. Jay Swing, one of the most reputable DJs in Canada, has done stuff at Rogers Arena, has done stuff at almost every nightclub in this city, whether they're still in existence or not. And uh, I found this audio, and I would love to play it for you. Kind of a somber day in the sports world. You know, you talk about the Trevor Bauer stuff and what's going on around the world and what's going on in the interior. And um, I just thought even if I could take your minds off of it for a couple of moments and get you into the world of J-Swing, it would be for both of our benefits. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. So my first question... To the producer of this show, and trust me, he's got more stories than the law should allow, is what was it like for a young Jay Swing? Early in the days, how'd you get started? Walk me through that journey, and he did not disappoint. The early days were definitely my father's influence. He had the biggest record collection, biggest stereo. Um, I couldn't rap. You so wanted to rap, though. I wanted to rap really bad. I couldn't, though. So I started DJing, and it just became music from there. I was always the guy in school that had the tapes with all the new music, and that just naturally led into, like, you know, DJing. So when I was in high school, because I think I got you by a couple of years. Not many, but I think I do. I'm 45. Right. Don't answer it. Okay. I think we're in the same ballpark. Same ballpark. The big thing when I was in high school was dub tapes. Right. And they would come from like Jamaica or they come from Guyana. Yeah. And if they said your crew's name, like you had made it, like you had arrived. Right. I don't know if that was how the West Coast was, but in Toronto, like Red Flame, King Turbo, all those guys, if you had something that said like, you know, uh, you know, Red Flame or King Turbo, it, the, the place went crazy. Of course. What was the Vancouver equivalent? 
Oh, man. I mean, it was like Kid Capri tapes, and it was like Red Alert tapes, and it was those New York mixtapes that kind of made their way out here. For me, it was anyways. Cash Money, uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff, that kind of stuff. How many times did you tape over a tape before it was no longer usable? Oh, man. No, I had a steady box of blank tapes. I was good. I was good. Because I would always, I, it ended up getting like crunched up about, you know, because I'd put it in the Walkman and I didn't have the good Walkman. I had like the bootleg variety. No, I could take those apart and add the tape and fix them and with the pencil and wheel the, wheel the spool back. Yeah, no, it and it was always good. Yeah. Your first gig. My first gig was, remember Graceland? I do remember. Yeah, I, I mean, right when I first came here. That was my first gig. I got paid 20 bucks for a night. I got ripped off. That was my first gig. Mine was Elfie's Cabaret Ooh, over in Gibson. That's a good on one. On the Sunshine Coast. <laughs> that's a good Dude, one. the DJ quit at like 10 o'clock. And the guy's like, what am I going to do? And he had like five, he had like five CDs. He had like Jock Jams 3. Well, that's good, like, for it, like it, it, good for like an hour. It was good for like an hour. People were tired. They were drinking like crazy. But when you realized all of a sudden, you know what? There's this underground. There's this culture here. Who were some of the guys that you met up with? And when did it start to become real for you? Um, flip Out and Chemo. Those were my guys. Those the, that was like uh, the DJ crew, those MFs. So we all met in this dude named Roger Swan's basement. And Roger Swan was a producer. He produced Swollen Members, Rascals, Checkmate. And so we were like the Surrey guys. Flip out and them were the Burnaby guys. Kimo and the Rascals were the Vancouver guys. And we all just sort of met in Roger's basement. So that's kind of how the whole rap thing started. And was there competitive juices or did you guys click no, right no, away? No, we were all cool with each other, yeah. We, we, we were competitive with everybody else, but we were good with each other. So when you realized, all right, I got a couple of guys from here and we've got this central location, the basement, what was the plan? Like, what was the goal? To put out your own stuff or to, like, what was yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, to be rap stars. I mean, it worked out for some of us, rascals and stuff. It worked out for Mad Child and Swollen. Didn't work out for us, but it was just making music and contributing to like, you know, hip-hop music. Jay Swing on Rob Fay Nation Radio. Yes, Who'd have sir. thought? I loved it because, like I said, I love talking sports, and if you want to interact tonight, we could talk sports. We could talk music, whatever you want. 604-280-1040. 604-280-1040. If you want to text me, hit me up at 104040. You can tweet me. Uh, we actually both got cool handles. I'm at Rob Fay, real easy, R-O-B-F is in Frank A-I. He is simply at Jay Swing. The Rascals were kind of like the West Coast's first big deal on much music i mean maybe one or two correct me if i'm wrong because i want to say east coast west coast much music was the early conduit like i didn't know much about the west until much music came to be right you were a toronto guy right i was so there was a group out here called eq and they were the first in my eyes like the first group from vancouver that really did it uh ease and quays and uh so it was them they dj they opened for public enemy they you know, DJ the Sound Wars, or they op or they headline the Sound Wars, and then the Rascals were the first ones to follow, and they were the first ones to really get out and do it on a bigger level, you know, countrywide. Because they had the look too. Yeah, I mean, they looked like rappers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we always talk about North South, or, or pardon me, East West, like Toronto, Vancouver. What was it like crossing the border, going south? Did people take you serious, or were you just some like you it's, know oh, kids it, trying to cuss? No, nah, it was tough, especially back then. There was no Drake, you know. I think people look at Canada how they should now, on par with the rest of the world. But back then, there was definitely that Canadian stigma. Like, yeah, you're a Canadian rap dude. Get What's the stigma? What's the stigma? That you're whack. Like, you're not, you know, you're from Canada. That you're not hard. 
just that you're not up to par. Like, you know, it was the 90s. So when I think 90s, I think Maestro Fresh West. That's right. Who, in my estimation, and again, I'm okay to be corrected here because, I mean, you're the encyclopedia. I'm not. <laughs> is he not the first guy to go mainstream? Like, Drake is to 2019 as Maestro was to, say, 1992, 93. 89 is when Let Your Backbone Slide came out. And that, that, was the first, that was the first rap yeah, that's anthem. that's crazy. He's the godfather of Canadian I rap. See, okay, I'm not alone on this. No. So when he came out, all of a sudden, you hear that, and you're in Vancouver. Yeah. Are you thinking to yourself, oh, my God, I, I, I've, I've heard it, and now I know it can be done. It was the biggest record, yeah. I mean, yeah, we were all trying to be Wes, 100%. I met him for the first time when I was in high school. And it was like, you know what everybody in Toronto wanted was the Dope State Jacket. I want the Dope State Jacket. <laughs> I want the Dope State Jacket today. Do you remember Let jacket. Your Backbone Slide? And yeah. he's got like the, the fake press conference and everybody's coming up. That was like the thing. Because he went to like a rival high school. I was like at Tapscott and Finch. I was at Lester B. Pearson. And he was a little ahead of me in the age game. But he was at Lamoureux, which had like all of the looks. So that color is actually his high school's okay. color schematic as well. Do you know what Dope State stands for? I don't. Desire to overcome the pressures of existence. It was real rappy. That's what it stands for. Dude, I never knew that. Yeah. So it's not just dope. No, I mean, it's, it's there's D dot, O dot, P dot, E dot. Because when he first came out, everybody was just kind of like, wait a minute. This is like a poor man's Big Daddy Kane. A little bit. But not really. But he wasn't. Well, no, because he had like the cameo haircut and he was coming in clean. And that he was actually like a year or two behind Big Daddy King coming in big, like smooth operator. That's right. Yeah. All of the things that everybody was like, but oh, my God. But still the same era, though. So the did, same era. did the West Coast immediately have respect for him? Yeah. Or, immediately. Really? Yeah. So he was the one guy that like broke down the barrier, so to speak. Yeah. Because I always remember every time I saw like rascals come on, I'm like, come on, guy. Like that, because you would hear it, right? And it was always on that like bootleg show on Much Music. Like it wasn't mainstream. They always had like West Coast Rocks or something like that. Right, right. And it was like off to the side. And you were like, man, this is no good. Yeah, but yeah. And that was just fighting for your spot in hip hop in the mid 90s, especially being from Vancouver, especially being from Canada. So, speaking of fighting, there's underground rap battles here, or is that just south of the border? Is that just no, like that eight miles? That's not my scene, but that happens. It's not just eight miles. It doesn't it happen happens. anymore, though. Or King does of the it? Dot, those those battles happen. Yeah, they happen. Where where was the first rap battle you ever saw? Like a legit one, not just in the basement with you guys going against each <laughs> other, where you physically went to a club or like an all age or whatever and actually saw two guys grab mics. That would be Flip Out versus Prevail from Swollen Members. It was that. The Red Lounge. Man, it's like the mid-90s. Just down called outside Elfimoso. of Gastown. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. Everybody came out. It was it was like the main event. And Flip Out won. Shout out Prev, though. Was it lopsided? No, but it was probably... I mean, Prev will tell you it's the only battle that he ever lost. It was a thing, man. It was, it was a thing. So now, all of a sudden, you and Flip become guys. And now, before we get mainstream to, like, the beat and all that kind of stuff, and I want to get to how that radio station came to be before they quote, according to some, sold out. Because I think that there is still a place in this city for like a legit hip hop station, which I don't think exists in this conversation. No. So before we get there, talk to me about that relationship between you guys, because there's a lot of listeners that are driving around that actually know <laughs> of you guys there's from a lot more of, recent times. There's a lot of listeners saying, why aren't they talking about sports? We'll get to the sports. <laughs> um, me and Flip, like I said, we met in Roger's basement. Um, and from then on, we just kind of became a DJ crew. So all the parties we dj together so you know and flip raps he dances he does everything how long before you realized you guys were a pretty hot ticket um well 
I don't know. Or getting steady work. Let me put it to you that way. That was right away. Like, that, that was. And who's, who are you going against? Like, who's got the big jobs? Because you want the Friday, Saturdays at the good clubs, right? Yeah, but it was the mid-90s, right? So everybody wasn't a DJ. It was hard to be a DJ back then. You had to buy every record. Every record cost 10 bucks. You it's all to, vinyls. Yeah, you're not showing up with a computer or a USB. Or, it was a different thing. So, you know, there were DJs, but there was a handful of DJs, whereas now, you know, it's everybody's. Now you just bring your Serato to the club, right? But back Easy. in the day, you'd have to bring the milk cartons. Oh, yeah. A couple crates, records in the back. Yeah, it was bundling My back's broken. <laughs> <laughs> but yet it's not broken. All right, we're going to take a break in a moment's time. But very quickly... What is your connection? Speaking of sports, and we're going to bounce around a little bit with the New York Yankees. I met you this year, Canadians yeah. guy. I'm a Blue Jay. Everybody <laughs> in the Canadians press box is diehard Blue Jay fans. You caught me in a moment, too. And then all of a sudden, the Evil Empire guy shows up. Yeah. Um, so my father was named after the 36 Yankees. So the Yankees are kind of like our family's team. William James Carl, Lou Wallace. So, yeah, that's my connection. So I've always grown up with the Yankees. It's really no choice. It's the Yankees. Yeah. And you know your stuff about the Yankees as I well? Mean, it's baseball, right? Like not like you. But I know a little bit. Yeah, I know, but I know I mean, the obscure hate, I, facts about like I know I don't Jose like the Rios Red Sox. Does me nothing. You know, like yeah, I'm not a diehard like that though. You ever go to Yankee Stadium? So, yeah, 2000 and what was the last year that they played in the old Yankee Stadium? Oh man, I thought it was 99. I could be dead wrong, but it was it's, it's actually been a while ago. Anyways, I took my dad to a couple games at the old Yankee Stadium before last they year. tore it down. Like the very last year, see, yeah. that's a bucket list that I will never be able it to check off. It was a great off. moment. Like you see, like a you know seventy-five-year-old man with like his eyes lighting up like a kid. It was great. So he had never been. He'd never been. He'd and never been. You took him to Yankee Stadium. That's right. Before he passed away. Yeah, that's we, pretty dope. Yeah, the last season of the old Yankee Stadium, and that was when they were kind of still a big thing. Yeah, it was great. Big ticket. So I played Tampa Bay. Well, then that's a guaranteed win night. Well, hey, it's good. It was a good day in the Bronx. <laughs> Dude, I went to see them. I just was in New York City for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I was there for the divisional series against Minnesota, game two. Didi hits a grand slam. I mean, they're up like 8 1 after three innings, and the place was just nuts. I'd never seen anything like it. It was impressive. We'll take our first break here. Jay Swing, my special guest on the very first signature series. Coming up later this week, another DJ. I don't know if you've ever crossed paths My with man, Alibaba. Alibaba. <laughs> of course. I used He's, to look up to him. I used to want to be him. I still want to be him. I think Al. we all want to be him. That he was one of the DJs that when I was, you know, going to clubs, I'd go and wherever he was. There was a couple of them. I'd go there. It's the only time I've ever had to buy twice as much Grand Marnier. Oh, yeah. Just to make sure Why? that there was he, enough he has in stock. Like a, he has a dispenser. <laughs> the, and that's not a lie. True story? <laughs> yeah. We'll have to talk about that on the other side. He is Jay Swing. I am Rob Fay. Monday. Hope you're having a good time. Not pre-recorded, not being replayed. Live, local, interactive radio right here on TSN 1040. Rob Nation Radio, right until midnight. But for the next half hour, Jay Swing, DJ extraordinaire coming through. I know, man. As soon as I heard the beat, I knew you had a couple <laughs> of things for it. Did you vote today? I did. I'm going to ask who. Are you happy, man? Uh, well, as it turns out, I mean, I don't know. It's like I wasn't thrilled with anybody, but who voted? Hey, you know, the thing with me when it came to the election, and I, maybe I'm in the minority, I vote the person. I don't vote the party. Right. Like, I mean, I don't even know what the platforms of the three main guys are, and I shouldn't say that. Like, I, I mean, I should know about Elizabeth May, and I should know about Jagmeet Singh and the whole thing, but I just vote the person. Yeah. yeah. Same? Or are you actually a party guy? Um, 
I don't like how you, I, I feel like you should be able to vote for the prime minister and then somebody in your local district. Like different, you know what I mean? It shouldn't mm. be the same. That, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't. Yeah. I think the thing for me is every year that I look at the guy and I say, or the, or the lady, and I say, you know what, man, that's my guy, never wins. I don't think I've ever picked the, like, the right horse. Like, I'll be a full disclosure. I used to always vote for Jack Layton mm-hmm. because I was like, he just seemed like a good dude. Mm-hmm. And this year, full disclosure, I voted for Jagmeet Singh. Right. I thought, good dude. But he did something that was interesting. And no, it's not. And I know what you're thinking. It's the wrestling thing. It's because he hung out with the modern-day Maharaja. <laughs> but, like, I honestly look at the sincerity of a person, and he came across as younger, like a little more me. Like, Andrew Shear's the guy you want to, like, get in a fist fight with. And Justin Trudeau, he's the guy that's probably going to steal your girlfriend. Yeah. But Jagmeet was on TikTok. He was, like, hanging out. He was, like, a good dude. Cutting he just wrestling seemed like, promos? He was cutting good promos, too, with the axe throwing and stuff like that. Yeah. Again, I don't think that resonates with, you know, you know Johnny 50-year-old. But the next generation coming through, if you were to vote for the person, I don't think it's that big a deal. I actually think there was some, there was a connection there that I didn't have with any of the other candidates. Yeah, I don't disagree. I voted for the party this time around, not so much the person. I want to go to the inbox, 104040 inbox. Mm-hmm. Look at that. I'm sorry, man. I'm putting those rubbers back in my pants here. How does Jay Swing <laughs> like the food at Nat Bailey by comparison to against the Canucks? Well, there's no comparison to the Canucks. So I can, uh, I'm not going to lie. Dude, they got like prime rib and stuff. They have prime rib. They have it, They go all out. They're trying to impress. Um, the Canadians all day over the Whitecaps, though. The Whitecaps, I love doing the games. I can do without the chicken strips before every game. That's what they do. They just put a bunch of chicken strips in a big old bowl and say, chicken come strips get your and, fill. Yeah, chicken strips and fries, maybe a burger one day. Sloppy tacos one day. <laughs> Canadians used to be rough, but they figured it out. They're good. You've got you to gotta feed the masses. They try. They put a good effort in. So I'll, now that you've done most of the sports teams in this city, I want to go kind of around the horn with you, a little baseball term there. I want to start with the Canucks because you were a part, as a DJ of, of Rogers Arena at the time, mm-hmm. maybe one of the most special moments in franchise history. Walk me through the last game for Daniel and Henry. That was an incredible night. Um, so, you know, there was so much anticipation for that like, game. what time are you getting there? And is everybody a little more tense because they know the magnitude of the moment? I don't think so. I used to get there around 3, 3.30. I was, I was prepared by the time I got to the arena, though. But, um, you know, it was the, the Sedin's last game, so my thinking going into it was let's just hit every big record, take every opportunity just to go with the A-list stuff and make it something special. Uh, we went from the whip to holiday for those games, you know, which was great. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it was, I, th- I think everybody was just excited to be part of something special. So then all of a sudden, the last horn sounds, game's over, and do you, see, because I take a lot of pride as a broadcaster. Like, I called a baseball game, and there was an outcome, a winner, a loser, and a story to be told. DJs kind of have that similar feeling. I mean, you've taken the crowd through this 60-minute journey. Mm-hmm. Do you ever sit back in your chair and say that was that was doper than most nights? Yeah. I mean, you know when you didn't do a good job or when you missed an opportunity to play something that would be appropriate. And you know when you did well. I felt that, that was, that, as it turned out, that was my last game in the, you know, DJ chair for the Canucks. And if that was my last game, man, I was honored to be a part of it. You know, it was such a great night. I, I don't think it really could have gone any better all around. You know, Daniel getting the overtime winner, like, come on. 
nah, and you get to play the the whole shebang for yeah. it. So there's a lot of aspiring broadcasters out there, guys like myself that had to start in smaller arenas, smaller venues. What advice would you have for a guy or a girl spinning tracks at a stadium? What is the key to success? The key to success, I mean, you're at a sporting event, so you've got to go with energy all the time. It doesn't make any sense to play anything laid back. You want energy. You want people to, you know, be into it. And, you know, it's sports, so you got to understand the situation that's happening you know, on the ice, on the diamond, on the pitch. You got to understand what's going on and play music that will, you know, make sense in the moment. Did you always think you'd end up in sports? Like, I, I look at you as a guy that used to be in the rap battle scene, in the underground scene, you know, at one of the biggest stations, and we're going to get to that in a second, yeah. and all of a sudden now you're playing 20,000 fans at, at Rogers Arena. Yeah, but that was nothing because I grew up a rap dude with, like, 200 dudes with their arms crossed staring at me like, do something entertain mm-hmm. us right so you get in front of a hockey crowd you know that that to me was that that's easy you know so um <clears throat> is it more stressful and i don't mean more stressful like the 200 dudes as opposed to 20,000 fans the that are looking dudes at their are stressful. phones i would imagine it would be but when you sit around like if you make a mistake it's not just in front of a couple of guys that are too busy because they're too busy looking at their phone people hear it like do you feel that stress when, yeah i mean if it's an obvious mistake you, you feel it. Like, what's an obvious mistake? Um, Putting a goal horn on when there isn't a goal Well, it, Al Murdoch touches the goal horn. But, like, uh, yeah, like, I went to queue up a song one time in the middle of play and just some song started playing, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I, you know, you play a song with a swear word. Yeah, that's it's probably not, not a good one. That's horn. not a great feeling. Were you there when Ash was there? Did, I, was did, there a few, any I did a few games with Ash, yeah. Did you get a chance to, like, get to know him a little bit? A little bit, yeah. Pretty impressive human being. He's a great guy. He was a guy that if you played a song that had a swear word in it, he would try to talk you off the ledge. He'd be like, well, this is not the last time it'll happen. <laughs> you know, like he'd be, he'd be cool about it. Yeah, you know, he didn't have the cleanest mouth either when he turned that mic off. Because <laughs> <laughs> he worked at Nat Bailey as well for a handful of games. And, and, and Don Andrews was really tight with him, and that was the, the two-piece in the pod. But I, every once in a while, would come out of the broadcast booth and, you know, just in rare passings with him. And it was funny because you just watch him, you know, the legendary voice of the Vancouver Canucks for so many years. And then all of a sudden, you would hear him tell a story that had a couple of swear words in it or, you know, a, a story that you didn't think was going to end the way that it was. You're like, dude, that's John Ashford. Yeah. But it made him cooler. It actually, it was a part of the lore, a part of the legend. Yeah, 100%. And Al, Mur- Al Murdoch's taken that and run. Al's great. Al's great. Think about the, the Bo Horvat captaincy night. I mean, there's so much pressure in delivering that properly. And Al just nailed it. I was in Toronto for John Tavares' announcement, and it was so understated. Like, so it's understated. The Leafs suck, bro. We're either going to go to <laughs> a commercial or get in a fist fight. I'm not sure. But what do you think about this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a song. And I want you to tell me if you would play it at a Canuck game. We're going to do, like, rapid fire, all right? All right. Like a virgin. Uh, no. Gagnum style. Uh, if I was asked to for one of those silly dance things that the ushers do. Chelsea Dagger. <laughs> <laughs> I had to, man. <laughs> Too legit to quit. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe. What is the go-to song, the absolute staple? Not a goal song, but the one song. Is it the one, you know, the Don't Stop Believing song? Yeah. Journey so, or whatever it is? Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that gets played every game. <sighs> Go-to song for what? For just getting crowd popping, just getting them back you know on what? track. At Rogers Arena, it's always like Welcome to the Jungle or some sort of rock song that's going to get them going. 
100% of the time. Welcome to the Jungle is like the ultimate like frizzy hair. <laughs> it's the hair default song, but it's like, you know, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like rock and roll Led Zeppelin or some something like that. There he is, Jay Swing, brother from another mother. I want to thank him for everything he does for this show, and it is so nice to be able to hear his voice on this show. We should do that more often. All right, let's wrap up this show. My thanks to everybody over at Equity Guru, to Chris Perry. Thank you for everything that you've done and for building the proverbial media monster that you are. My thanks to Galen, Asan, J.P. Chung, and the irreplaceable Priscilla Choi. Until you and I do this again tomorrow, right around lunchtime, I'm Rob Fay. Thanks so much for making me a part of your day. Like, review, subscribe, but more than anything, please, 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 if you can, share what we're doing here on Sports Bar Radio. It is brought to you by Equity Guru. I will see you tomorrow. Sports Bar Radio was brought to you by Equity Guru, investment information for the new generation. Visit us at equity.guru and let's make some money together. Please note, any mention of companies on this podcast is part of a promotional campaign, and the information you hear should be a part of extensive due diligence. As well, always get advice from an accredited financial advisor before you make any investment decision. Protect yourself.